And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio Monday afternoon at three with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. For our weekly local coronavirus update now. Same as it ever was. Hey, Same how you, as it ever was. How are you feeling? You're, you're feeling out of practice? You know, I, I can get used to doing it once a week. I, I'm fine with that. It does seem like a long stretch, yeah. though. Except there's just not really that much news in the coronavirus right now. No, the pandemic's still with us. It's getting better. Um, the science hasn't shifted radically in the last several months, really. Um, I mean, as we are getting more familiar with COVID and its effects, um, we are seeing more and more data about the dreaded long COVID um, and you know, the prevalence of that. Uh, so that's, that's interesting and evolving uh, still. But other than that, you know, we have a vaccine. We have vaccine events. We don't have as much as we'd like, but we're doing quite well in the county, and we're doing rather well in the state. All right. Well, do you have the numbers? Can we revel in this? I, I, I can. Um, our total numbers right now, as of this morning, were 3,918 total cases. Um, we've added um, just about 100 for the month of March so far, which is remarkably low numbers. Um, we're adding about a little over four, um, between four and five a day. Um, our positivity rate is hovering just over 2%, 2.3%. That is really a change. Yes. From just three weeks ago. Yeah, it's it's come down. Now, these are la- lead, uh, lagging, av- lagging numbers, uh-huh. um, but still, yes, that's a market improvement. Um, we have 130 people in isolation or, or quarantine, which has kind of been held stable for the last couple of weeks. Um, and almost no hospital utilization right now. Um, only two in the county, one in the ICU are hospitalized. So very good um, locally in terms of our control of the pandemic. And hopefully it will continue to get better even with some limited reopenings. Well, I guess I'm anticipating the numbers um, going down even more, or I'm, I'm just like a little ahead of myself and thinking that four or five a day average is so good that our isolation and quarantine numbers should really go down. <laughs> Why are they so high? 130 still seems high to me. Well, if you have somebody, if you're adding five a day and those people stay um, in isolation for 10 days, um, seven to 10 days, depending, um, and then they have a certain number of contacts um, who then go into quarantine, right. the math adds up pretty quickly. Um, and so, you know, if we keep adding five a day, I think we're going to see slightly north of 100 people somewhere in the county being in isolation or quarantine. Because uh-huh. the, the quarantine numbers mean that those people who did test positive had been in contact with sort of a lot of people. Does that mean that we're not uh, we're not isolating enough? Or that no, I think I think most people go into quarantine are household members uh. um, rather than you know some sort of super spreader events. I don't, we're really just not seeing very many of those. Whether that starts to happen um, with even limited indoor dining, uh, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, schools, you know, those schools which have been open throughout this pandemic really haven't been a source of transmission, a significant source of transmission. Um, but other events, gyms, um, church functions we've seen over and over again that sort of thing are roots of transmission and we might start seeing more numbers um, from those type of events as we start to reopen as people relax yeah it's almost like you can't help it it's been so long it has been so long yes 
So if we can just hold on a little well, bit longer. Keep testing, right? Well, keep testing um, and keep vaccine. I mean, one of the reasons why we're seeing lower hospitalization rates is we have now vaccinated a significant um, minority, well, actually a majority of the of the vulnerable people in this county. Um, and the vulnerable people, obviously, are the people that get hospitalized with COVID. And so, you know, the, the, that population now has pretty robust immunity. Um, and as we know from... Um, all three of these vaccines, um, they really do almost entirely eliminate hospitalization from COVID. You might still get COVID. You might still even have some symptoms of COVID. Um, but the probability of getting acutely ill to the extent that you need to be hospitalized or worse, that's pretty well eliminated with these vaccines. It, it's quite remarkable. Right. And then there still remains the question about whether vaccinated people can, can spread the infection. Yes, we still don't have that answered, um, and whether it's going to, you know, change guidelines or recommendations is another question. Um, I, I think on a personal basis, on an individual basis, we all want to know uh, whether we can spread COVID even if we are fully immunized. But as a public health policy, it's going to be very hard to say we can all stop wearing masks when we're still seeing five cases a day in this county, for example, just because we're not going to know you know, who is and who isn't fully vaccinated. And so really the mask-free um, normalcy that we're all waiting for, that's going to require national control much, much better, actually, than we currently see. What do you mean? We're going to need to see numbers, um, you know, daily positivity uh, rates uh, nationwide to be well under 1%, 1%. Um, and cases per 100,000 are going to have to certainly be lower than the 4 or 5 that we're running in this county right now. We're going to need to see that, you know, really under 2 um, per 100,000, perhaps even under 1. So a little ways to go, but achievable if we continue to march toward this elusive herd immunity keep getting our shots yes well on friday the public health briefing that they give every other friday they said that we have vaccinated forty-seven thousand seven hundred forty-six doses there doses. Have been that many shots administered in mendocino county yeah and 20 a little bit over i think twenty-eight thousand individuals have received at least one of those shots in a county of 85,000 from just public health, that's pretty good. Um, so 28,000 from public health, you know, let's call it 18, maybe even pushing 20,000 from the Adventist system um, consolidated. I don't have those numbers, the small numbers from the pharmacies. So that's, you know, we're, we're pushing toward 45, 50,000 people that have received at least one dose in this county. Right, and that's 40% of adults. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And this morning... We were at uh, a second dose event in Ukiah at the fairgrounds, and it was full. Good. So it feels like this week is a lot of second dose events. A lot of second dose last week and this week. Um, I, I think supply has um, become a bit less um, generous to Mendocino County just because our numbers are so good. But it is still coming in, um, and as it comes in, it is going right back out. So that's working about as well as we could hope Um given, you know, the limited vaccine supply that we're still seeing nationwide. Right. But, see, yeah. but speaking of supply, AstraZeneca yeah. um, just released its data as a press release, so a great way to do science. Um, but uh, as a press release, they released data showing uh, very good results from the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine, uh, which has been approved and used and then stopped and then used and then stopped in uh, a lot of EU countries as well as Britain um, and a few other countries. And it's 
showed that it was um, both very effective um, and had uh, no uh, appreciable increase in side effects when compared to placebo. So very good news there. Not sure it's going to arrive in the U.S. Uh, in a way that will really contribute to the control of this pandemic, but it certainly is going to be a very useful vaccine for um, international control, particularly because it's um, a much more stable vaccine. It doesn't require the sort of rigorous freezing. Oh, okay, so it still needs two doses. AstraZeneca still needs two doses. Yes. But it doesn't need to be kept at such incredibly low temperatures. Correct. What kind of a vaccine is it? Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, boy, my vaccine studio. I knew you were going to ask me Sorry. that. Uh, I, I, I think it's an adenovirus-based vaccine, um, but I, I would have to re- refresh. I've been There's so many vaccines out there um, right. you know, in various stages. I, I'm, I'm 90% certain it's an adenovirus-based, kind of like the Johnson & Johnson, which uh, for reasons that are um, a little bit obscure, it's listed as Janssen on the, on the public health website, which is just a wholly owned subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. Well, we want to be correct. We want to be specific here. Yeah. Well, they're both correct. <laughs> but. Um, okay. So with AstraZeneca, this will be the fourth vaccine in the U.S. that that'll be approved in it, the U.S. Yeah, it's not approved yet, um, and they really did bungle some of their initial trials. Um, in a way that was unfortunate. And then it's gotten a lot of bad press um, in Europe because there have been these concerns about um, clotting and platelet um, dysfunctions after the vaccine. Um, In further analysis of that data, um, it really has come to light that the incidence of those disorders is no higher um, in the vaccinated group than you would expect in that number of people in the population in general. So it doesn't appear to be causing the uh, these events in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people people get heart attacks every day, and there will be people that have a heart attack the day after they get the vaccine, um, or blood clots, or all the other things that land people, um, you know, in the hospital or, or worse. That's going to continue um, in the same sort of way, and it doesn't necessarily uh, speak to causality. Um, and so, yes, they paused it. Yes, they reactivated it. But the vaccine appears to be quite safe um, and well tolerated. So, what's the next step in the timeline with with that vaccine here in the states? Uh, well, they would need to pl- apply for emergency use emergency use authorization um and so they're probably going to do that maybe even by the end of this week um so they're through their trials they're they they just finished a big u.s trial and they'd already done obviously other trials um that were started in late august as i recollect um and some of those are wrapping up around the same time as uh, the pfizer um vaccine was wrapping up as well but just never got to that point in the u.s um Pfizer and Moderna are kind of known for having some mild but, you know, feelable side effects. Like Mm -hmm. people kind of get sick for a day or so, get a fever, get chills. Mm -hmm. In many cases, does AstraZeneca have anything like that, too? Anecdotally, I mean, I I haven't seen it firsthand, obviously, because it's not here. But anecdotally, it seems to be a bit... um, less intense um and the same with the janssen or johnson and johnson vaccine that also appears to have uh fewer effects immediately after the vaccination and obviously the the janssen or johnson and johnson vaccine is only a single dose vaccine can we just call it janssen and janssen and uh, yeah well you know i think j and j is a little bit yeah. gun shy after their baby powder problems oh man <laughs> <laughs> AstraZeneca and J&J, yeah. not 
not good reputations. Well, you know, every every drug company has its uh, problems, shall we say. Yeah. All right. Well, any other news before we open up the phone lines? Uh, California numbers. We are finally under 2,000 cases a day um, in the state of California, which we haven't been there for quite a while. Um, down 36% over two weeks. The U.S. is still holding steady at around 50 to 55,000 cases a day. Um, and we are now vaccinating 2.5 million doses per day nationwide. Um, so that's, you know, that continues to climb. I mean, just just in the end of January, Biden was talking about doing a million in doses a day as a goal. Um, that quickly became a fairly meager goal. Um, but the fact that we are now at 2.5 million um, and still climbing, that's great. We're going to, I'm afraid, bump into you know, the vaccine hesitant um, and sort of uh, diminished enthusiasm for uh, first dose vaccine events in this county. You know, perhaps by the end of um, April. Mm-hmm. I, I think about this a lot. Uh, when I was asking you about this, we kind of seem like we're at a plateau a little bit with our numbers going down. They're going down, but really, really slowly. And I wonder where we're actually going to land in terms of when we've when we vaccinated all of the people locally who want to be vaccinated and what we are going to need to do to get ourselves over... Over the... The wall over the little bump, the, the just the yeah. the baseline of COVID that we're going to see in our community for months and months. Right, right. I mean, there, there's. I'm sure that some people are watching to see how the you know the mass vaccination goes. Like, are people getting sick or are they okay? And and who's getting vaccinated? And and how's it going? And that's going to be reassuring to people. But then there are probably people who are just n- not going to go along with it no matter what for whatever reason and there's a, a range of reasons oh yeah no the, the range is actually quite astonishing i mean, I, I feel like it's it's um it, you know it, it ranges all the way from the local equivalent to you know of Rand paul to you know uh the greenfield ranch you know hey. early, <laughs> early 1970s sort of hanger honors who are going to you know worry about the long-term effects of the vaccine rather than long-term effects of covid um mm-hmm. So it's you know it's it's interesting that it's the opposite ends of the spectrum um, sort of hanging back from getting vaccinated uh, for reasons that are I think entirely different, uh, frankly. Um, but hopefully, as more and more people do get the vaccine, even some fraction of the of the vaccine hesitant will come forward and help control the pandemic. Otherwise, it'll just continue to. Uh, remain as a background mm-hmm. uh, virus in the nation and in our community for months to months. Um, it's it won't burn itself out. It's not something that we're going to ever completely eradicate. Um, and the fewer people that get vaccinated, um, the, you know, the faster we're going to get the numbers down to a you know an entirely manageable level. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's just something to think about. I know that there are ways to reach out i know that there are ways to communicate with people that are not um you know insulting or aggressive or you know that that are understanding of people's legitimate fears um that that i don't know it just seems like to reassure people that this is this is okay and there's so many of us getting the shots at at this point we're getting two of them you know, we're going back for a second dose. So, uh, you know, people are, are doing okay. Well, and we, you know, we may ultimately need three, actually, which probably... Oh, goody! <laughs> I know, right? 
doesn't exactly contribute to a sense of vaccine security, yeah. but there is that possibility depending on how these strains um, continue to spread and how quickly we're able to outpace them with vaccination. Sure. And, and that's the other thing is that if we have a significant slice of our communities that aren't vaccinated, is that sort of an incubator for different variants? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not only an incubator, but it allows for you know, further variants to emerge. I mean, you, know, you have to have transmission for mutations to gain foothold. Um, and so the more people that are um, able to receive and harbor and host the virus, if you will, um, then the more mutations we may see or the greater rapidity of their transmission throughout the community. Right, so every shot is sort of one for all. It's yes. like everybody get yes. your shot to take care of everybody. And the, the, the state's website for signing up for vaccines is called My Turn. Mm. And I kind of feel like they should have like a more sort of collectively positive name like Our Turn or <laughs> One for All. I don't know, I was thinking of new names of, for this of website. Of all the criticism and I'm going to lobby against sort of the, the state and federal rollout of this uh, vaccine or the control of the pandemic. That's not going to be high it's on my list. my turn. Yeah. Mine, mine. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. okay, let's move on. <laughs> let's open the phone line, shall we? Sure. Okay, it's 707-895-2448 is the number here in the studio. This is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. We are here until 4 o'clock, so if you got a question, there should be time to get you on the air and the phone lines just lit right up so let's go ahead and take our first call good afternoon caller can you turn your radio off thanks perfect yes i did great i did okay so um i have a a comment and a question uh a while back i called in to ask about somebody who had long covid and had a, a reaction to the first shot and asked if they should get the second shot um, and i just wanted to report back that that person had an even more severe reaction after the second shot and um, and is now back to the way they felt probably before the first shot, but it took about seven to ten days to get there. Um, but but has not resolved the long COVID problems. Um, so the the the, uh, the the other thing, the question I have is, you mentioned that the statistical correlation between the AstraZeneca vaccine and the um, uh, and the uh, blood clotting and and bleeding platelet uh, problem, it seems from reading the European websites that they have now actually found a connection between the AstraZeneca vaccine and that condition. Uh, and it happens primarily in younger women between the ages of 20 and 50, uh, and not so much in men and not so much in older people. It seems to be an immune autoimmune reaction type thing. And, um, and they are now... Those, people, those countries that have resumed it, for example, in Germany, they're now using the AstraZeneca for older people, for people over 50, uh, um, because that, that seems to be a relatively low-risk group to use that vaccine. So I just wanted to share that and see what you think about that. Yeah, so I, actually, the the incidence of clotting, um, I, I'm not going to talk about each European country uh, individually, but on the whole, the incidence of clot, uh, blood clot seen post uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine do not appear to be higher. There might have They might have broken it out into some subgroup um, and found a higher risk in some countries after the AstraZeneca vaccine of clots formation or, or platelet disorder. We do know um, that all of these vaccines can rarely cause uh, platelets to drop to um, very dangerously low levels resulting in bleeding. That's happened here in the U.S. in a handful of cases. It's quite rare, um, but it is an autoimmune response to the vaccine uh, that is seen sporadically. Um, So, you know, I 
agree with your assessment. I'm not sure that Germany is restricting it just to the 55 and up. Um, I hadn't seen that, but that, that might have happened again in the last day or two. I haven't checked it recently. Yeah, it's a very recent development. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so, and as for your friend with long COVID who did less well after the shot, there's actually some data, not a lot yet, um, but certainly a, a collection of case reports, if you will, um, of people who have had long COVID symptoms who experience um, in, accelerated resolution of those symptoms after getting the vaccine. That tends to be the normative uh, course after uh, the vaccine with uh, those who have, unfortunately, um, some constellation of syndrome, uh, symptoms consistent with long COVID. Obviously, that's not your friend's experience, and that's not going to be universally true, but the data at least is trending um, to suggest that the vaccine can curtail um, or at least ameliorate um, the uh, the symptoms of long COVID. Do you think there's still some hope that that might still happen and that it would take longer? Um, that it would take longer for those symptoms to resolve? <laughs> To resolve the long COVID symptoms, yeah, after well, the vaccine. Yeah, we. I mean, the answer is we don't really know um, because we just don't no. have enough time yet. Um, you know, the sense of most practitioners is that these symptoms will gradually ease um, over the course of X number of months. But whether that translates to six months or 18 months um, or even longer, we just don't know. Um, and as a sort of as a side note or sidebar, if you will, uh, we also are seeing more and more data showing that um, post-COVID, um, we're seeing people with um, psychotic symptoms, um, which is interesting. This is in, uh, this is appearing in people who don't have a mental health history, um, and you know, after they've recovered from what may be a very mild or even an asymptomatic illness, uh, we're seeing more and more people with psychotic symptoms. I can also say anecdotally, uh, we've seen a significant increase in uh, mental health patients in the emergency room um, who coincidentally, or perhaps not, are testing positive for COVID. Um, and so there's just a lot of interest in tracking how COVID might be affecting mental health. It's hard to tease it apart because we're also under a lot of stress, um, and it's been an unusual year, to say the least, and that can unmask a lot of mental health problems, obviously. Um, but there's there are a lot of people who are looking into that effect of COVID as well. I would recommend the study that recently came out from Body Politics, which is a long-haul COVID website where a lot of people who are affected by that uh, are, and they did some some uh, four-week and I think eight-week and six-month surveys, and they, they're listing a lot of symptoms and the prevalence, and people who are affected by that might get some useful information from that. Thank you. Um, I haven't seen that website, so I'll, I'll check it out. Thanks, Body Colin. Politics. I can, I, I, I'll email it to Alicia. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll take our next call. Hello, caller. You live on the air. Yeah, hello. So um, about the beginning of March, I got my first Moderna shot. Very exciting. But they didn't schedule a second shot for me. And they said that I would have to do that on my own. And none of my friends who've had both shots have had that. And I've looked online and all the available you know spots are, you know, either it's your first shot or it's your second shot if you got your shot, you know, say at the Ukiah Fairgrounds, and I didn't. I got mine in Little River. Is that normal? And do you have any suggestions about how I go about getting my second shot? 
So the, if you got your first shot at a Little River event uh, two or three weeks ago, I would, ent- and that was through public health then, I presume, right? There's not a clinic in Little River. Um, yeah, no. no, it was, uh, I mean, it was for lodging employees. My boss set it up, so I'm not sure. But it was, an, was, it was an event that was hosted by public health. There was a, a vaccination event in Little River two to three weeks ago, correct? Yes. Yeah, so they, the, the public health, and I presume this was public health who hosted that, um, should be setting up a repeat event um, timed for the, the, the second shot. Um, I'm not surprised that they didn't schedule it at the time, um, but they should be contacting you, and whether it's public health or Adventist, which I very much doubt at Little River, um, they should be contacting you and scheduling your second dose. So I, if I yeah. were you, I would call um, the public health um, hotline and um, find out whether they are scheduling that repeat uh, vaccine event. Okay, and uh, public health uh-huh. on Friday announced that there will be a vaccine event in Little River on April 1st. So, that so that's probably like your right second in dose the window, event. Right, yeah. for, for Madonna. Do you want some phone uh, numbers? Looking for it. They told us to go online to uh, the Mendocino County website and, uh, you know, the, the soonest I saw was, was the 25th, and one of us has to kind of schedule their job around this, so they, they need a lead, you know, week lead time. But uh, if you say that there's one going on April 1st, that sounds like it's got our name written on it. So, yeah. wonderful. All right, and they also Thanks. recommended on Friday that you use the myturn.ca.gov for scheduling for the county vaccination events. But you can also, I have a couple phone numbers for you as well. So um, one for the, if you don't have the internet for the my turn, you can call 833-422-4255. Yeah, I called that number and they told me to sign up for the first, just sign up for the first shot. And then after I got there, tell them I already had my first shot. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I went on the my turn website and it's, you know, it's, they said it's, uh, it's, not completely working fully yet, but uh, it's, you know, it was confusing, you know, because everybody who's gotten their first shot has, at least that I've talked to, had their second shot scheduled at the same time. So they're, either you need your first shot or they're, you know, yeah, it's just, was just odd. But if you say there's one in, uh, yeah. in uh, April 1st in Little River, then I'm sure that's got our names written that's on it. So we're Right, and my son got his second shot today, and I did have to schedule him through the county. So um, so I think, and I saw a post from Ted Williams today that said the county is transitioning to scheduling the second shot when you get your first shot. Mm-hmm. But I know for a fact okay. that that wasn't happening three weeks ago. So you're probably in the same boat as us where you need to schedule that one. And the reason why is that so the supply chain just wasn't as clearly defined um but now i think there's some degree of confidence that the second dose will arrive in a timely fashion for the three or four week uh, booster shot yeah. all right yeah great I, I did get a call from anderson valley uh, health clinic and they said oh you're you're up next and i said well i've already gotten my shot is it moderna and no it was pfizer so bit of a shell game it seems like but i'm i'm confident we'll get that shot uh, sooner or later yeah no you should you should get it without a problem um and it sounds like it's gonna be at that little river event Right, and then there is a, a second dose Moderna event in Casper on April 2nd as well. So there'll be a couple of opportunities there. All right, thanks for the call. Yep, I'll get off the air. Thank okay. you. Thanks. Oh, goodness. Well, phone lines are open. It's 707-895-2448. That's 707 
895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update on KZYX. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, Alicia. This is Jamie. Hey, Jamie. So I got a couple of questions and a quick comment. Just first of all, uh, I've been getting, I got my first shot and I'm waiting for my second shot. And I got it through the Anderson Valley Health Clinic. And I just, you know, initiated it with a phone call. And they had my record, and when it was time, when they had my first shot ready, I got a, you know, a call from them. And I expect, you know, my call is due about the same time as Dan's, and um, I expect I'll hear from them again. I mean, they've been really good about, you know, just making it easy. So that was an easy way to go. And they didn't require you to be hooked up at their clinic. Uh, they just wanted you to be in the live in the area. So anyway, that's really good. My question is... Um, uh, so, you know, the, we've been getting the same answer for a long, long, long time about, well, in terms of if you're, if you're vaccinated, are you infectious? And the answer has always been, well, we just don't know. It might be interesting to listeners, you know, just to get a little more detailed about, I mean, it seems like by now with all this, we've become so accustomed to miracles, you know, that they'd be able to figure that out. So maybe a little detail on that, how they were going about trying to figure that out and, you know, when will we know that? And I had something else, but I can't think of it. So, oh, yeah. Um, so I, I, about testing, uh, maybe you could announce the testing schedules, you know, again. And also, for those testing dates, do you need to, uh, you know, make an appointment or not? Okay, those are my questions. And I'm off. You're, o- you're off. Okay. So... Yeah, I, you know, the vaccine events at the Anderson Valley Health Center, I think, um, are comparable to the ones that have been occurring throughout the county. All these FQHCs have been doing an excellent job of getting people in and getting um, the vaccine administered. Um, so I'm glad to hear that they contacted you. Um, they are very good at recontacting people to get the second dose administered. And they are also, you know, despite the rather laborious um requirement or qualifications in terms of health conditions, which requires sifting everybody's health records um, to figure out if they qualify or not under the current system. Um, They've been doing a very good job of actually making that happen. takes a lot of time. um, And frankly, I think it's going to be abandoned, perhaps even by the end of this week, one hopes. Um, other questions that the caller raised, vaccine and transmission. So, yeah, it's a little bit repetitive to keep saying we just don't really know if you can transmit after you get the vax. But the honest answer is we still just don't know. Um, the, the studies on this, um, sort of the public health studies that are going to be looking at rates of transmission in um, significantly vaccinated people, just aren't available yet. I have said um, and speculated with a fair degree of extrapolation from other virus uh, syndromes or diseases um, that I don't think we're going to see a lot of it. Um, I think it's going to happen, certainly, um, but I think it's going to become very rare. Um, And whether that's borne out in the data when it finally becomes available, I don't know, but that's kind of what I'm predicting we will see when we finally get an answer, perhaps end of May, early July. Um, somewhere in between there is my is my estimate. All right, and as far as testing opportunities, yes, the OptumServe in Ukiah is still open. It's 9 to 5 Saturday through Thursday at the fairgrounds in Ukiah. 
And Fort Bragg is also doing OptumServe testing 9 to 5 Tuesdays at the Vets Hall in Fort Bragg. And then there are rotating testing teams visiting communities throughout the county on Fridays. And they're rotating through two sites per week now, up from one site. So they're going from Point Arena to different uh towns throughout the county all the way out to round valley so and yes you need to have a patient number to to do that but you don't have to make an appointment necessarily they do take walk-ins but if you want to get yourself a patient number go to the optumserve website which is lhi.care slash covid testing and you can sign up there's also a phone number i don't have it in front of me but by now um, a lot of us have, have been through that process but you can go and, and walk in to get a test and um, I've, I, I've sort of been using the strategy that like whenever I think about it and I'm downtown I'll just pop in and, and do it just to kind of do it every couple of weeks alright next call hello caller mm-hmm. you're live on the air yeah I have a question I know a couple of weeks ago Dr. Colfax mentioned that the flu season hadn't really been a big deal this year primarily we assume because of masking and cleaning your hands and such things. But in the last week, I've known three people that came down with the flu, and I just wondered how that was changing. And, um, and for example, one guy that works with me wants to come back to work. He's missed over a week. But I know that his wife and kid got the flu after him and are still sick. Should we consider that some a reason not to have him come back if he's got other people in his house that are still sick? Thanks. Sure. So, you know, the numbers on flu have been remarkably good this year. I mean, there was much concern back in August and September that we're going to have a twindemic. Um, But lo and behold, masks work really well at preventing transmission of influenza. Um, And so, you know, these these COVID uh, precautions have controlled uh, influenza just as well as they have or would control COVID if they were universally applied. Um, As for your specific question about your friend um, and safety returning to work, you know, this is the flu, right? And so the flu is generally generally fairly well tolerated um he's a week out he's already past the infectious stage so there's really no um reason that he could not return to work even though he has uh sick members at home uh, presuming that this all is in fact influenza and not covid um so but it, it would be safe for him to return to work i would certainly encourage um or insist upon uh, mask wearing um and I I presume that is a, you know, a fairly universal thing at your place of work, but it, that that should be fine at this point. But we're not seeing, you know, the anecdote, your anecdote of three cases on, in the last week, that doesn't translate to a larger uh, flu picture that I've seen um, at the hospital. We might be seeing a little bit of a surge perhaps due to the fact that we're getting out and about and commingling a bit more and getting a little bit more relaxed about um, some of these COVID rules. Um, But that hasn't really translated into a significant increase locally. All right. Thanks for that call, caller. All right. It is 3.36. We're going to go until 4 o'clock here. This is an hour long (laughs) call in. So, and I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, I would like some clarity about um, the mask wearing when people are have had both shots and it's two weeks past and um, they're with a small group of people. When you're indoors, do you still have to have a mask on? 
Yeah, so the, the current guidelines um, require... Now, if you're talking indoors with family, immediate family members, so if you're you know, getting together with a, you know, a small group of people for dinner, for example, in a house with your parents or sons or daughters, then you don't need to wear a mask, presuming either everybody is fully vaccinated plus you know, 10 days, let's say, or very low risk, such as children. Um, so in that scenario, you don't need to wear a mask. In every other scenario, however, mask wearing is still required, um, certainly um, recommended, um, and, and in California, required. Um, so friends that have also been vaccinated two weeks past, and yeah, so still would... So if these are you know if these are if these are people that you would want to include in your to use an archaic term bubble um, and everybody's comfortable with it being very low risk and they're not you know socially mingling with other groups of friends every other night of the week um, then not wearing a mask would be fine in that scenario they would be treated you know basically as family members now that doesn't quite jibe with um, official California guidelines or requirements. Requirements, um, but as a personal public health policy, um, it, I think it's reasonable at this point. Okay, I, I have one other question. I think I can anticipate. Um, we have some cousins coming from out of town, and I was thinking about inviting them to stay with us. They've also been um, vaccinated. It's been like a month since their last vaccination. Can I invite him to stay with us? Uh, it, you know, that that's a tough question. I mean, we're not supposed to be traveling a lot right now, um, and I'm not sure what your, you know, what your stay with us scenario would um, translate to. Whether you'd all be in the same house, around the same dining table, around the same kitchen, um, you know, that that would be at our house. Yeah, that that would be. You know, that would be definitely not the recommendation of any public health officer in this state. Um, whether it's significant risk, you know, is another question. I mean, if everybody's fully vaccinated um, and thus immune, the likelihood that somebody in that group is going to be an asymptomatic transmitter of COVID and that it's going to be transmitted to somebody else who's fully vaccinated is quite low indeed. Um Furthermore, the risk of any one of you getting sick from COVID or significantly sick from COVID is, you know, vanishingly small if you multiply it by the risk of um, contracting the disease. So as a policy, as a public health policy, my answer would be no. As an individual risk to you, um, the risk is quite low indeed. And I think you would just have to decide, um, you know, how important it is for you to see your cousins this week or this month um, or wait for the numbers to drop, you know, another month or two when we get better control. The problem that public health officers are struggling with, which is why we're all so frustrated, is you really just don't want people vaccinated or not moving willy-nilly around the around the county or the state or the country, carrying some low level of COVID with them um, as a population, leading to you know more cases and continued uh, transmission in a way that could be controlled if that were curtailed. Okay, makes sense. Clear yeah, as mud, right? That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't give you a hard answer on that. That's something you're going to just have to decide, you know, between you and your desire to adhere to public health requirements um, and, you know, how 
how important this is to see your cousins and have them stay with you know in your house at this point Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, caller. Uh, Thank you. I, I think a lot of people are asking the, that it's a, question. It's, a, it's a really the question on all of our minds after, what, 13 months of this? And if yeah. we could get a clear yes on that, then I bet a lot more people would yeah, want to get vaccinated. It, there, there, there can't, it's just hard to be, it's I hard know. to be so clear, right? It, there's yeah. just not absolute data that tells us what is and what is not safe it's all very squishy right but you say like a month or two we may have that data if we have yeah and, well even if we don't have the data on the transmission after vaccination uh, which we may not in a month um if we have better control of the pandemic if mm -hmm. the numbers aren't fifty thousand cases a day nationwide but you know maybe twenty thousand um and really isolated hot pockets here and there around the country rather than sort of low-level transmission everywhere then you know that analysis would change i think all right let's work on that yep. let's go for that hello caller you're live on the air i am you, you are. are that's you uh let me turn down my radio hi uh my question my parents are in their 80s they're both fully vaccinated and it's been more than two weeks and my sister won't let them hug their granddaughter, who's 13 years old. I think that's like almost no risk whatsoever. But what's your opinion? Yeah, so that at, at this point, that's actually that has been um, sanctioned by the CDC. That is OK. Um, you know, presuming that the granddaughter is not sick um, and hasn't been sick recently or is not in quarantine or isolation, obviously. But if she's healthy and you're uh, and her grandparents are, as you say, fully vaccinated, then that risk is so low that the benefits of a, a hug from the grandparents is or grandchild is certainly greater than the negligible risk of COVID. All right. That's but I don't, I don't want to interject myself no. into a family drama. But yeah. my question would be, is she, is her mom concerned about the, the, the daughter getting COVID from an asymptomatic yes. transmission from the yeah. grandparents? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the likelihood, presuming that your parents who are in their mid-80s are not, you know, going to raves now that they're fully vaccinated um, and are staying at home most all of the time um, and following the COVID rules when they aren't at home, then the likelihood that they're going to have asymptomatic COVID and transmit it to uh, their granddaughter and nothing's absolute, but boy, those numbers are really, really low. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't want to, as I said, interject myself into this dynamic. But um, in terms of things that are safe versus risky, this is way on the safe side of the spectrum. Okay. Right, right, the 13-year-old getting on a bicycle and riding it a mile is probably more dangerous than the risk of her getting COVID and getting sick from COVID at this point. From okay, her grandparents. Great. Yep. All right. Perfect. All right, then I had a comment for the, the caller, if he, he's still listening, who was worried about his second shot. I was in the same situation. I got the first shot, and they wouldn't let me make an appointment for the second one. They said I had to go online. And when I went online, it said appointments for the second Pfizer shot were given out, and you didn't have the option to make the appointment. But I showed up with my card with no appointment, and I got the shot without any problem. 
Yeah, and, and that's. So, yeah, I don't really want to encourage people to go to the second events without um, some sort of notification going at least one way or the other, preferably both ways. Um, but if your second dose event is due, uh, or your second dose is due, and you know that there is a second dose event at the same locale where you got your first dose at the right interval, which is to say three or four weeks later, um, then as an emergency backup plan, you could certainly show up. Um, and I certainly have not seen nor heard of an event where people um, are going to look at a vaccine card, realize that it was administered at that facility, and it's a timely, um, you know, it's the right time interval, and not give the shot. Um, that that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. All right. Cool. I just wanted Thanks to put so that much. out there if he's still listening. Thanks yep. for the show. Great. Take Thank care. you. Yep. Okay. Take care. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Hello? Yep. Hello. It's you. Oh, am I on the air? You are you live are. on the air. Yep. So um, I just tuned a little bit ago, and I, so I probably missed the info that I'm looking for. But so when the uh, when the age limit went down to 65 and over, uh, I signed up online <clears throat> to so that I would be notified. So I guess that was like three weeks ago or something, and I haven't been notified. And I'm wondering if I should be doing something more. I'm 74. Yeah, you should be getting your shot. Um, You know, I don't think that they've gotten through the entire list um, in every corner of the county yet, but um, we're getting quite close to that point. Um, And so I think you should be, you know, Maybe you're just one of these unlucky people that haven't uh, hasn't had their number come up yet, um, and I don't know where you live. So, well, I'm in the Willits area, and uh, so, but I guess my question is: Is the notification system working well? And I should just sit back and wait for it to to work. Boy, that's a loaded question. Yes, it's working uh, relatively well. It's about as well as you could expect anything through a. A governmental agency to work. Um, but I, I wouldn't encourage you to sit yeah. back too much. Um, and so I would reach out to, um, you know, the clinic up there um, or public health to find out when when you are going to be scheduled, just to make certain that you haven't somehow fallen through the through the cracks. Um, and, and, you know, that I think would be a reasonable, proactive thing to do on your part. Because we're getting very close. I mean, I... I I expect that the county is yeah. going to throw it open, um, you know, wide open, ages 16 and up, uh, you know, maybe by the end of this week, um, perhaps by the end of next week. But we're getting very close to saturation um, in the current um, eligible cohorts in this county, which means you should you um, should be getting your your appointment scheduled, um, you know, at one of these very proximal upcoming first dose events. Okay. Yeah, we've got Howard. I would be a good place to call in. Yeah. Yeah, I would call Howard or the Bechtel Creek Clinic uh, clinic up there um, to find out when and where you are yeah. um, scheduled. I'm not sure okay. who, where your healthcare provider um, lives or works, but that would also be an option. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. All right, and good luck with that. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, it's 707-895-2448. We've got about, I don't know, 11 minutes left. So a couple more calls. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Caller? Okay. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. 
Hi there. Well, let me turn my video on. Okay. Um, I was curious about how to find out when the roving COVID tester comes to Anderson Valley. I haven't seen that listed on the Mendocino org. Yeah, website. that that's a that's a <laughs> that's a hard hand. You'd think that'd be a very easy question to answer. Um, <laughs> But unfortunately, it's easy to ask. It's easy to ask, um, and unfortunately, I don't have the answer, and I'm not sure that anybody has the answer. Behind, besides, you know, somebody you know driving the OptumServe algorithm that you know sends it out to various places. They do come. They did come over here, kind of on a regular basis. Then it became a bit less regular. Um, and so I'm not sure when they're going to, you know, shunt some sort of schedule to the health centers um, around the county so we can get a better sense of it so people can schedule around that. But I don't have any dates. You know, calling the OptumServe um, might give you an, uh, some information, though I'm not terribly optimistic that you would get that data from them. Um, you know, and then there's obviously social media that may or may not have something, which I certainly am not attuned to. So, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for you on that. Um, but if we hear something, if I hear something, then we will push it out to uh, the community. But I just, it's been, a, it's been an ongoing frustration. Let's just say that. And I, I will say that this optum serve this decision rests squarely on the county. So the various health centers around the county were quite happy to continue doing COVID testing, but the county took it away and dumped it entirely on OptumServe. So call the county, call your supervisor, and find out when you can get tested here in the valley. I think they deserve to hear from you. Good idea. Thank, Thank you. you. Doing a little rabble rousing there too. Uh, there's also the um, the county's coronavirus call line and you can call that at 472-2759 472-2759 but yeah i haven't seen anything online or on social media or or anything like that but i do know that those traveling testing units are going out on fridays so. yes and you know but that's two units now and the state actually mandated that they had to stay in each site for an entire day mm -hmm. um oh. which in this very rural community doesn't really make sense to have a testing site set up for an entire Entire day in a community of you know two or three hundred, um, whereas really if you had a couple hours in multiple sites that would be far more efficient. Oh, gone are the days of the Anderson Valley High School test drive-through testing. Yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> hopefully soon gone. Just gone. Yeah, drive through everything. I'm, I'm ready to be done with it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, I'm so happy to get through. I've been cut off about 25. Okay. Oh, no, frustrating. Uh, yeah, it rings a couple times and cuts me off, and I've dialed back about 100 times. But anyway, thank you for the show. I'll be really brief. First of all, if you know of any testing on the South Coast, and I mean Point Arena, Gualala area, please announce it. Do you know anything about an outbreak in Gualala, which is the rumor going around, but I can't get any information? Um, also, uh, Itchy skin, Dr. Colfax, you said last week it wasn't related, but I read on the listserv people are having itchy skin, and my arm has been itching for months, but it's not the arm where I got the shot. It's the other arm. And then uh, are we going to have to be tested and have another shot because of all these variants coming through? And my last comment, and I'll hang up and listen to you on the air, the messaging is so confusing 
kids can be three feet now. You can pod with your group with no mask. And then look at all the people that just stormed Miami. And I've talked to so many young people who won't get the shot, and it doesn't seem like they're Republican men, which is the greatest group they say won't get it. And they're not listening to Fox News, and they still don't want to get it. Okay, I'm hanging up. Thank you for the show. All right. That was a that was a very compact series of questions and comments. Testing on the South Coast, um, I don't think anything has been published as of yet. Um Alicia's double checking that as I talk. As for itching skin, you you know, some minority of people will have a localized reaction around the site of the vaccine. I if it's your contralateral arm, however, it's hard to relate that to the vaccine. There are uh, you know, certainly case reports of people having a mild rash after the vaccine, which is not just localized to the arm, um, but sort of long or prolonged um, pruritic rash um, is not really something we're seeing very frequently as a side effect from this vaccine. As for the variants, yes, that is a concern. Um, they, you know, they may ultimately require that we get a booster shot um, sometime in the fall um, in order to keep this from resurging again next fall. Hopefully not. Hopefully we get things under control tightly enough with the current variations of these vaccines that we don't need that. But that is certainly a possibility, um, so stay tuned on that. And yes, the messaging is, you know, it's been historically just terrible on this pandemic, and that history is continuing. I, You know, the data, you referenced Republican men, you know, the data actually on vaccine hesitancy nationwide um is really strikingly different between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, there's about a 35 to 40 percent a group of Republicans who are reluctant or who say they will not get vaccinated at this point, whereas the number of Democrats saying they won't get vaccinated is somewhere between five and ten percent. That's that's astonishing. That's a massive number. Um, but as I alluded to at the top of the hour, there's also people um, who are not on the Republican end of the spectrum who are also uh, vaccine hesitant and not just necessarily COVID vaccine hesitant, but vaccine hesitant uh, for all flavors of vaccine. Um, and it's it's both curious and somewhat um, startling, I guess, uh, to see these two cohorts come away with the same uh, takeaway. Uh, it's it's just a remarkable um, sociologic development in this country. Right. What's the word? South Coast testing? You know, I looked and looked, and yeah. then I got to the OptumServe website, and they want to do second-factor authentication, so it's just not going to happen yeah. on the air right now. But um, we'll try to find out if there are more resources. But the Point Arena is one of the places where the roving, the county's roving OptumServe testing is, is going taking going, place. So yes. that's on Friday. So I'd call the county and ask when they're going to be in Point Arena. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I can't really speak to the alleged outbreak in Guala. No, um, I, I didn't see anything I, I about haven't, it. I haven't heard of that. I haven't seen of that. Um, you know, and now that we're getting a significant proportion of our, popu- our vulnerable population uh, vaccinated, um, the outbreaks really carry um, significantly less um, individual public or individual health concerns, right? Mm-hmm. You're not I, at this point. We're not likely going to see people um, exposed in an outbreak that's going to result in 
high morbi- morbidity or mortality. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've got three minutes. Should we try one more call? Sure. Why It'll not? It has to be really quick. All right. I'll talk fast. Oh, look. They all hung up. No. Apparently, they're cutting people off. So let's try. Hello, caller. You've got you got really short window. What do you got? So I want to talk about testing again. Um, I test frequently. Optum service is great. But the message I hear from public health is to continue testing even if you're vaccinated, but to test once a month. And I don't really understand what good testing once a month does and why they don't recommend testing more frequently. And if we don't get a lot more people into being tested, it looks like we're going to lose Optum serve because there's never anybody there when I go in. So that's my question that was great. why not test more frequently thank you yeah I, you certainly could test more frequently i think the county's you know recommending once a month testing simply because they want to broaden the sample size um and you know by doing more frequent testing you could end up with the same hundred people that come in once a day in the county for a test and you would really end up with just completely useless data so they're trying to spread it out the problem is of course and this is not just a county-wide problem but a statewide or national problem, nobody's really thinking about testing anymore, um, despite these calls. Uh, the, the focus is really now on vaccination. The testing is in, incredibly important, however, for public health um, metrics and for measuring the extent of the existing pandemic. Um, and so it needs to continue. It needs to be supported. And whether the state of California pulls OptumServe and ships it somewhere else, I don't know, because I think that this scenario that's playing out in this county is actually playing out everywhere else in the state as well. Um, But is it a possibility? Sure. I mean, I I could certainly see um, some bean counter somewhere in the state house deciding to pool our testing capacity. And then the county is going to have to scramble to undo what they did when they hitched themselves to the OptumServe star. All right. Well, on that note, that's going to do it for us. Wow, that was quick. Yeah, it was a quick hour. And we'll be back next Monday from 3 to 4. Same thing, open lines. Um, Thanks, everybody, for calling. These are great questions. Yes. And thanks, Drew, for being here. Of course. Still. It's a pleasure. (laughs) So, okay. And don't forget, everybody, we're in in our quiet drive. We're fundraising for KZYX. You can go to kzyx.org to become a member or call us here at the station, 895-2324. We're at... $18,088 of our $100,000 goal. So please help us get there. And thanks again for listening. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax for the weekly version of the local coronavirus update. Thank you, everybody. Be safe. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXMZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.